Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. No one can really argue that Austin has been growing at a fantastic pace. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that through February, the Austin Metro ranked third in employment growth. We added about 101,000 jobs year over year and have increased our total base by 140,000 looking back through the pandemic. But this growth encompasses not just the city of Austin, but our entire region. We're growing at ludicrous speed, to quote an analyst from Civic Analytics. This region encompasses an area from Bastrop to Tripping Springs, from San Marcos to Temple, with hubs in Round Rock, Cedar Park, Buda, as well as downtown, we're becoming a multi-hub region with all the benefits and pitfalls of that term. One key element of making it work is local information delivered to local consumers, and that's where our guest is making his mark. John Garrett started a community impact newspaper from the game room of his home and with his wife and best friend Jennifer. Their belief that everyone, not just the insiders, should know what is happening in their own backyard. John has been named best CEO by the Austin Business Journal and a distinguished young alumnus from Sam Houston State University. He also won the KPMG Executive Leadership Award from the Austin Chamber of Commerce, among many other accolades. The Garrett's launched their first edition of CI in 2005 with the Round Rock Pflugerville paper. Today, Community Impact News publishes more than 40 editions serving over 60 communities, including 11 editions in the Austin Metro, as well as Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio, Nashville, and Phoenix. John, welcome to Austin Next. Thanks so much for having me, guys. So a bit of background, started off. What made you embark on this journey of hyper-local publishing? Well, I always joke that we were hyper-local before hyper-local was cool. You know, 2005 uh, was when we started Community Impact. My whole career has been in the newspaper business. So I started at the Houston Chronicle uh, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. So the glory years, I mean, we were killing it, printing money. Only game in town, really. I mean, everybody followed the newspapers back then. But I, it gave me a great opportunity. I was always on the business side, but it gave me unbelievable opportunity. I, I learned so much about technology there at the Houston Chronicle. I learned about people. I learned about circulation and quality. But my wife and I are from Austin. So we, just like everybody else, even now, back then, everyone wanted to be in Austin that was in Texas for sure. And uh, so we wanted to move back. I took a job at the Austin Business Journal. It was my first management job. Uh, I was the advertising director at the Austin Business Journal here. And uh, it's just 26 years old. And uh, my first management gig, but I learned so much. I learned about, you know, how to build a great team. We were one of the worst performing business journals on chain of 41. And when, when I left there, we were one of the top two. So wow, I was really proud of what we built there. Yeah, no, it was great. I had a great team and learned a lot. It was a great, ex uh, great experience for me because I learned so much about kind of the tone of CI, right? It's kind of a business journal tone. But uh, the reason why we went hyperlocal is because, you know, my wife and I lived up in Round Rock. And I was driving into the Business Journal every morning. And at the time, there what's now called 45, it was called Lewis Hinna Boulevard. And they were, you know, building it, tearing it down, building it, tearing it down. We're like, man, what, what, is, what are they doing? We don't even understand what they're doing with these roads. And, you know, of course, they were building the toll roads and no one knew, no one knew where they were going or how much they were going to cost. And since I worked downtown, I was really interested in, you know, people that are new don't understand how 45 connects to Mopac was like a miracle because before then it was like driving down Burnett Road every single morning, but like multiplied by like 10. 
uh, just to get to downtown Austin. It was very difficult back then to get to downtown Austin. So it was like the curiosity is really what got us. And of course, at the time, the only real local publications were, you know, kind of the traditional community newspapers, which I think were a lot better uh, back then, but still they wrote about, you know, Johnny kicking the winning field goal and that kind of thing. And my wife and I didn't have any kids. We just wanted, we didn't have a Starbucks back then. Are they going to build a Starbucks near us? Like that's all we cared about. So it was curiosity and my experiences at the Houston Chronicle and the Austin Business Journal that kind of brought it all together. And I got, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I had all these really bad ideas. My wife would, would just reject. And then I came up with this idea and uh, she's like, you nailed it. And so I quit and I, I took $40,000 credit card loan out from Southwest Airlines. And we started CI from uh, the game room of our house. And, uh, and the rest is still being written, I guess. I don't want to say history because we're still, we're still writing our story. No, but I love it. And I love the, the value prop that you guys are bringing. I, I think um, in a speech, I, I guess you said, it was like, as you said, the Johnny kicking the winning field goal, which didn't always provide, unless you're Johnny's parents, of course, then you, you were very interested in that. But, you know, I kind of joked that like every time we get Community Impact, there's at least one story that provides a, you know, leads to a discussion in, in my house, whether it be something about the school district or the, you know, housing prices or, or whatever. So I've always really enjoyed getting it and going through it. And obviously, you know, the same, you know, obviously you kept the advertising model and you got, we got to go through it twice, once for the stories and once for the, okay, what is right near us that has some sort of interesting deal coming up? So it, uh, it works really well. And you guys have been expanding a lot and choosing, you know, you've got 10 different, you know, communities in, in Austin. How do you choose what creates these little, you know, hubs that you're going to cover? Yeah, great question. I mean, we've always just thought through like, how does commerce work? How does transportation work? You know, how do we regionalize that? Obviously, our model is also ad driven. So we're sensitive to um, total circulation numbers. We've got to we got to have a, a model that will support uh, our circulation through local advertising. So, you know, like Northwest Austin, when we started that publication, that was the first one in Austin proper. We were in Round Rock, of course, in Cedar Park and those areas. But when we went to Northwest Austin, you know, I grew up in kind of Gracie Woods area, which is kind of Palmer metric is where I grew up. And I always knew, I always felt like Northwest Austin was really like, the, the local papers didn't really give it enough coverage, the local business community in particular. And at that time, you know, the domain was just getting started. The red line was just happening. And um, so we, so we're, we're kind of looking, okay, are, are there news events that are happening in this area? How, how does Northwest Austin actually have a voice at City Hall? This was actually before they had the district. So, you know, it was the, the council members were very central Austin, you know, geared, and they focused most of their policies and even, even funding on those areas. And so we wanted to say, hey, Northwest Austin uh, deserves a voice. We went and met with uh, Mayor Will Wynn at the time when we were launching Northwest Austin, and, and they agreed. They, they really wanted to engage the Austin citizenry in the Northwest Austin area, if you can imagine. They, they didn't have representation at City Hall. And so we wanted to be kind of the representation. And so when the city was doing their budget, we wanted to hold the city accountable in terms of like how many park dollars were going to Northwest Austin parks and those kind of things. So that's kind of how we how we decide the areas. It's it's editorial need. It's does, is there enough um, business there to help support the, the advertising driven model and um, kind of like where do people go and live, work and play and try to keep it within that area. How has that changed, right? We said 10, you started with Northwest Austin. Where are you seeing, you know, obviously when you decide, hey, we're going to put a 
you know, a, a community newspaper in this region, that is a point of saying we've hit a certain level of maturity for that region, right? Right. And I think, you know, we're already seeing it. Like we're, we're, uh, we're doing some really cool things like central Austin, for example, was, was one edition Dita who runs our central Austin papers, amazing leader. Um, she, uh, she said, Hey, we had to split some of this up. So we added some additional, uh, circulation on the East side, um, which has been what people have asked for a long time. And we're, we're kind of creating these new zones. Round Rock Flugerville is another great example. So we used to go to Round Rock Flugerville and Hutto. Now we're, we split those editions to be Round Rock by itself. And now Pflugerville and Hutto have their own editions. So we're getting more hyper-local as the area grows. And uh, that helps a lot. It, it really helps our focus on editorial to be more meaningful, you know, to the people and what, what they what they care about. But it also helps us on the business side because it helps our local businesses be able to afford, you know, advertising uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a smaller, more focused area. And how do you see the connective tissue of these? You said it was Round Rock. Now it's Pflugerville and Hutto. I'm curious, like, as we see with Samsung coming into Taylor, how Taylor may be part of that group or getting its own, what, what defines that connective tissue to be, this is its own community? Yeah, I think it happens really organically. Like, um, even though Samsung's going out to Taylor, it, it's still, if you've ever driven, you know, Hutto to Taylor, there's still a big, pretty big gap. Now that gap is closing. Um, and so to me, it's about, it's about transportation. Um, you know, so if you write, if we do, uh, Taylor and we combine it with Hutto, then we have to really make sure editorially that the people in Hutto feel like we're their paper and the people in Taylor feel like we're their paper. So if they're not connected enough, then it, we've, and we've learned this over time, it creates some, you know, editorial relevance issues. And so it's kind of like, you know, the daily papers problem, right? Like how does a daily paper cover Round Rock and San Marcos and Austin? It's very difficult. So every day the paper comes out, you know, how do you make sure that somebody who lives in, in Buda feels like that's that's their paper? So that's what we think about. And our model allows us to do that a little. It's a little bit more effective than than kind of a big daily or, or metro focused uh, publication. Well, and then you split up when I look at the website and the different areas, you split them up by the, you know, the different metros, Austin, Metro, Houston, Phoenix and so forth. So going to put you on the spot a little bit for a moment. I noticed that uh, on the website, New Brunsfeld is in the Austin metro, but at least from a census perspective, I think it's in the San Antonio metro. So how is that decision driven? Well, Jason, there is no S in, New, in the middle of New Brunsfeld. There's actually a really funny song that you should Google that uh, most people say New Brunsfeld and that the locals there will, will, t will be able to tell you you're not from from there, if you say that, just FYI, that's a friendly little uh, note to you. I, I appreciate it. And I apologize to everybody, all our listeners in the area. I will get better. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a really great video. You got to Google it. It's really, really great. Um, so then, uh, so yes, yeah, so New Braunfels has always in our market been in Austin because we kind of kept going south. So we we're in San Marcos and really San Marcos, uh, obviously geographically is close, but now we're in San Antonio. So we're, we're, we just haven't um, moved it, you know, structurally on our website. But I think, you know, as we as we talk a little bit about regionalism, you know, I have some opinions on kind of what I'm seeing. You know, those are old kind of TV markets, right? With New Braunfels being in the San Antonio TV market, it, we, it's real. Like it's very real. But there's also some interesting things that I'm I'm wondering. I'm curious about that how regionalism is going to play out long-term that may be a little bit different than what we even thought, you know, five years ago. 
Well, I'd love to dive in a tiny bit now. I mean, at least talking about like, you know, Austin, San Antonio, as you said, you're moving south and kind of really that. How are you seeing the dynamic of those two metros? And are they really two metros at this point? Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, I'm sorry, time flies more than 15 years ago. We used to, at the Business Journal, do Austin-San Antonio corridor summits. Hey, when is Austin and San Antonio going to connect? That was, that was over 15 years ago. And if you drive the area now, there's still a lot of gap between New Braunfels and the Metrocon area of San Antonio, Shirts, Selma, that kind of area. And New Braunfels itself, there's really strong leadership uh, in the, at the city, uh, all across that city. And I, I kind of... I'm curious as the time, as time goes on, how, how those areas kind of combine. I don't think it's going to be like what we thought. Like I think back, you know, 20 years ago, we thought it was going to be like a DFW Metroplex or something like that. I, I could be wrong. I'm, again, I'm curious, but what I see that's happening is more of a kind of a San Marcos, New Braunfels, uh, Metrocon combined and San Antonio and Austin kind of being on their own. Like, Kind of like a Williamson County up north, right? Hayes County and and Cabal counties. Like, how are they going to kind of uh, form? It's it's going to be really fun to watch. But I don't think it's as simple as we thought it was, you know, fifteen or twenty years ago. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they. I mean, when I've gone up to DFW, right? It's the I don't know fifty cities that are all combined together. But having three distinct groups, right? Austin, San Antonio, and then the corridor in between makes for an interesting dynamic. Then, yes, for sure. It's, it's fun to think about. So you, uh, Community Impact's been around for 17 years at this point. What do you feel is the most important changes you've seen over that time? Well, you know, I think the foresight of many people, you know, if you think about 45 and 130, for example, I mean, guys, it's, it's been about 20 years, something like that, 17, maybe 16, 17 years since those things have been open. And, you know, the, if you think about the foresight of the leadership at the county levels and the city levels of those areas to do those things, you know, what, 30 years ago, buy the land, you know, plan it like, Ooh, now in today's uh, world, we're like day to day. Like, you know, I think part of that's pandemic, like how do we survive? Like there's, I, I, I kind of think one of the biggest changes that I've seen is the ability for local leadership to plan far ahead. And I, I think that that's probably normal for a metroplex. I don't know, or you know, a metro area that with our kind of growth. But I think that that's the biggest change that's happened in the last 25, 30 years. And, and it's it's um, it's going to be really hard to navigate the future without time like that or without leadership like that. I want to drill down a little bit on that because we've seen most recently around the airport. The airport plan is about a 20-year-old plan. Uh, for example, it called for additional jet fuel storage to be in a certain location. Here we are, 20 years later, Austin Bergstrom Airport is a much, much larger airport from a demand point of view. The new jet fuel storage has never been built, and it may not be in the right place anymore because everything else around that storage depot has changed. And we're still looking at now another plan for the airport, another plan for jet storage. Same thing is true of Austin's master plan. Again, it's 20-something years old. Do we have, and I don't want to go deep into politics here, but 
Is it possible for political leaders today, with all the storm drang kind of thing, is it possible for them to plan out more than two, three, four years in advance? I, I think it's still possible. I mean, the good thing about planning 30 years out in advance is that, you know, you're going to be retired by the time the plans come to fruition. You know, so to me, yes, you you still can plan 30 years out. You're, you know, our, our kids are going to have to pay for whatever our decisions we make. But if you think about it in terms of city planning, I think it's vital. And I and I think that that's what I think has changed um, the will right? The will of leadership to follow the plan. I mean, even, you know, I grew up in Austin. So, you know, even the, even the way I think Austin's changed a lot, but the way that the environmental groups really led, right? Regardless if you agreed with them or not, I mean, they got stuff done. I mean, some of the fun things, if you look at the Arboretum Retail Center, I mean, all those trees in the parking lots and such, like th- those were like really well thought out policies that annoy us is when we were trying to find a parking spot. But the, the point was, is that they wanted development to have trees and, you know, make sure that there was still a beautiful area. And a lot of that local will is very, I feel like it's a lot more short-sighted and they're, they're making decisions in, in a lot of, in a lot of the cases they have to, that are like, Hey, what's in front of me uh, next year, as opposed to really making sure that the decisions that were made 20 years ago at whatever increments, five years, 10 years, 15 years, that those plans are moving forward. Um, I think we've we've lost that somehow. Not everywhere. There's still some really smart, uh, big picture regional planning that's happening. But the will to actually keep those things moving forward it seems to have gotten lost in the, in the urgency of the issues that face us today. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I think one of the biggest issues there is, is with Project Connect and the transportation needs, real needs of Austin, because... I think it was just last week or two weeks ago I read that the rail line uh, is now going to be twice as expensive as it was promised. I would expect that to happen again a couple times over the next 15, 20 years. So that's an issue. Um, It's interesting you talk about the trees in the Arboretum area. In a prior life, in my corporate life, I did a lot of travel. And I used to joke coming out of Southern California that if you wanted to build in California... You'd find a plot of land, you'd build, and you'd plant trees. (laughs) Everywhere that I went on the East Coast and the Southeast, it was just the opposite. You'd cut the trees away that you needed to cut, and then you'd build. So when you talk about a smart uh, plan to keep trees in the Arboretum area, which is beautiful, and yes, okay, it might be a little bit harder to get a parking spot, but at least you can breathe. So it's just one of those things. I wanted to go in a little deeper also with regard to CI and your business model. Now, when I was in college, I was in the media in Chicago, but I was on the broadcast side. And it was hard, and I don't care what size organization you had, to cover everything in a large metro area with reporters. You've taken what for local newspapers, especially the hyper-local 11, 12 different versions in the Austin area, and an amazing... I want to say it's a risk by actually putting people on the ground to cover these areas. Congratulations, by the way, keep it up. We love it. How has that worked for you? And and what was the thinking process behind it? Yeah. Like, so our, our business, our business philosophy is everything starts with high quality local journalism and high quality design. I mean, if you've noticed our paper, we're all about infographics. I think we lead the country in my view of of quality of infographic uh, local journalism like we 
we are really good at it. And we put a lot of money and resources towards that. Uh, real quick, I just, is there was at least, it was one of your, I think, housing ones that I literally took a picture and was texting it around saying, oh, look, here's this increase, that increase, and here's our zip code. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We value design. And that's, that's a big difference. We always have. You know, our first issue in 2005, if you, if you go to our website, you can, it's a great archive. You can go look at all of our bad design from our first issue. But one of the first things we did, this was before Google Maps was, was available. We, we designed every entrance ramp and exit ramp uh, through a satellite image of the toll roads. Because wow. if you had a business off 45, like you really cared about, you know, whether or not you had an exit ramp or entrance ramp. And so we somehow, <laughs> we've always really valued uh, design. And I think if you have high quality design, then it goes to the people and the people will want to read it. And then you have, you know, revenue that you can get. And then the, the key to that is, is you can continue to invest. So you add additional reporters. And so that that's what's happened. That's how we built the model is uh, we start with high quality journalism and high quality design. And, and our circulation strategy is really smart, right? It goes to everyone. And if you, if you deliver a high quality product to people, they'll read it. We've demonstrated that. And the data is really clear. Like, the idea that people won't read a printed newspaper is is something that we have not experienced in the data. The data, not even our data, other people's data, really demonstrates that um, that you can still pull that off. So, it starts with a commitment to quality journalism, and then a commitment to continuing to invest in that. So, adding additional reporters. And what's really exciting for us now that I'm really uh, I would have never have known is um, you know we during the pandemic I studied a couple of really great uh, local digital models. And, and we've learned a lot. And, you know, now with our, our daily newsletter, um, we have a whole new way uh, to monetize and to add resources. So we're adding what we call multi-platform journalists. And so we're adding even more journalists that are really focused on kind of our digital products. And um, so I think it's just going to get better. Like that's, that's been our approach and, um, and we're committed to it. We're committed to, you know, we're, we're a values driven organization. And one of our values is quality. And we're going to have a high quality product. And I think that that's a long perspective that a company, we're, you know, we're privately held. So my wife and I are the only shareholders, which that helps a lot, <laughs> you know, and um, the return matters to Jennifer and I. And one of our greatest returns is when we walk into a, a, a CI office and we have reporters that you know, are engaged and we have a team that loves their work. So that's what we're, that's the real return that we're going after right now. And, and I'm very grateful for that. Let's go up a level now and talk about how Austin develops as a metro and what Jason and I have seen in other metros, especially coming out of where we did. One, one or two areas, one or two scenarios, sorry, um, seems to take place. You either have the single hub dominance kind of metro, or you have this multipolar, multi-hub kind of environment. Now, you know, it, it's, it's easier if you talk, for example, um, about sporting venues within a city. Um, I'm born and raised in LA. And if you look at LA now, you've got the football stadium down the street from where the Lakers play at the Staples Center and a couple blocks away is the sports arena and so on and so forth. And it's all very, very focused in a single area. And over time, it's actually moved more towards a downtown. In other areas, you've got just the opposite where things seem to scatter. It looks like 
the greater Austin area, Central Texas, whatever term we're going to use today, is becoming that multi-hub, multi kind of multi hub and spoke kind of thing, if you want to. You know, you've got, you put a stick in the ground, we've got the state capital, we've got UT Austin, and then everything else is all over the place. What are you, I mean, obviously you've built your model the same way, so I'm going to guess you see that. But how do, do you agree with that? And, and what, is it, what do you think that means for all of us? That's a, that's a great question and something that, that as long as I've been in Austin, everyone's been wondering about. I, I view it more as like sun and the planets, you know, that Austin is the sun and everything around it revolves around the sun. And every once in a while, you're going to get a beautiful glimpse of Mars and you see something that's happening out in Leander that you're just blown away by. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, but Leander really needs Austin. And so um, it revolves around the sun and the sun is Austin. And I think that that's just the way it's built. So, and I've seen a lot over the last uh, 17 years of covering um, the region that have really impressed me. Um, the regionalism uh, is real. I know you had Laura from the chamber on uh, recently, and um, I was always like, this is just strange to me. So Emerson moves from Northwest Austin, out of Austin, up to Round Rock, and everyone's happy. Like, that just seemed really strange, right? Like, and, and But that's the way it, it truly is. Opportunity Austin in particular has always been around like the region winning. Now, I have seen some interesting battles between suburbs for projects. And that's a little, you know, the, the, the planets around the sun sometimes will, will battle a little bit more. But, but generally speaking, I think everyone would agree the reason why the c- cities around the area are, are a great place to do business is because they're very close in their proximity to the sun. Let's take Samsung, though. There it was, using your metaphor, the sun versus one of the smaller planets, right? And in this case, Taylor won. And I think that's a very interesting dynamic, and I think it's actually a strong positive, one that obviously it didn't go to Phoenix, um, but having that internal competition, you know, to say like, hey, they wanted to be in part of this region, but didn't want to be in Austin proper when it was all said and done. And does that inter-competition also help drive positive growth of, okay, so what is Austin going to change to be able to get Micron or the next, you know, it's a, I swear it's a chip uh, plant every day we keep hearing about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there was definitely real like competition between Austin and Taylor. Um, but there's so many things, so many dynamics there between, you know, uh, water and energy and um, and just things that, um, even other things that, that we, you know, that, that the three of us may not know <laughs> that were happening b- behind the scenes that I think, um, will make that kind of decision happen, but it doesn't happen. I don't think it happens in Taylor without Austin. Mm. You know, I, I just don't think it does. Now I could be wrong, but I don't think, and I think Taylor would, would, would agree with that. And I think that they're, um, they're super proud that they were able to land that that incredible project and and I think that they're they know that they're enough different from Austin uh, that they can they can kind of boast about about that and and it is going to be a little bit of a different feel for Samsung so um, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out 
Yeah, anytime I see Dripping Springs in a bit of a conflict with Taylor, in a bit of a conflict with Waco, to the exclusion of Phoenix or Toledo or whatever, you've got a smile on my face that's from ear to ear. Yeah. It's interesting, if, if we look at the greater area, we've got some interesting dynamics in terms of the specific areas. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are now talking about Austin being the EV automotive capital of the country. and that's Southwest Travis County, you know, the Gigafactory, the suppliers, and that's going to do nothing but grow. In Northwest Austin, you know, you guys had a great story last week about the domain turning 15. And we've got Apple, we've got National Instruments, we've got Visa, we've got Meta there as well as in the CBD. Um, and then you've got, you know, the, the Central Business District as well. Obviously, you've got the city government, the state government. And that whole retinue that surrounds them. But we also see autonomous vehicles being tested around the streets in downtown Austin all the time with those little carts, you know, driving around for DoorDash or whatever it is. But the issue seems to be how do you place the right thing in the right location given what you need? You talked about water, we could talk about land, I mean, power, rail. Yeah, transportation, yeah, in general. Uh, not mm -hmm. freight as well as um, as people. It's hard. And um, do you see that increasing? Are we going to see in that northwest section by the domain, are we going to see more and more of, quote, high-tech software development kind of things? And our factories are going to be, whether they're on the northeast side around the Samsung plant or around Tesla? Yeah, I think um, I think naturally they're going to be around each other. Although, you know, tech to me, you know, Austin is still going to be the driver of all that. The 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 office and the you know the the brain power to, that drives those tech companies. I think it's going to be really focused on Austin. If manufacturing, you know, manufacturing, think about it, it's land, right? Like, there's land and it's inexpensive. It's you know, and also good transportation. I mean, you do have some great transportation options around 130 that that make it very attractive for for Tesla and for those kind of companies. So, you know, I think that they're I think it's really more about land and transportation than than anything else than hub, than hubs. I think I think Tesla would love to have built in downtown Austin that factory, but it just doesn't make, you know, financial sense. So, if 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 it if it, if it goes like that, it, that's the reason why. And I guess that ties in with recently Meta taking what, 33, 35 floors of the new building at Sixth and Guadalupe, as well as their location in the domain, as well as their location a little northwest of there. Is that the way that companies adapt and thrive? You know, I don't I don't know the specifics around what, what they're trying to do with those two different offices. Uh, I, I do know that um, there's a great bit of, um, of workforce uh, in the north side, especially Williamson County, so, so, you know, they talked about domain being the second downtown also, all that stuff. I've, I've heard that a lot. That's been talked about a lot. You know, the, the real advantage of the domain is Williamson County people, the people who, who are buying homes in Lander and Cedar Park and Round Rock. And, and they want, you know, they don't want to drive to downtown Austin. So I don't know what their strategy is. I don't know if they're having separate departments or like what they're thinking. But to me, I bet it's about talent. And I think that that's the biggest thing that, the, that every organization, regardless if you're manufacturing or or tech, uh, whatever you're in, it's all going to be about being around talent. And it's going to be interesting, you know, 
um, as the as developments happen with housing, right? Like if housing is happening in where the where the land is in Williamson County or in Hayes County, um, that that's going to be interesting to see uh, how that plays out with 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 those companies that are trying to uh, you know attract talent. Plus the whole work from home thing, like it's just going to be interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. It's interesting you talk about housing. Um, we, being the data nerds that Jason and I are, spent a lot of time looking at housing numbers and statistics. Now, where we come from, to put attractive homes on the ground, you had to go on the ballot and get the county's voters to agree. Didn't matter where the tract was. It could have been in the farthest reaches of the county. Austin did about the same number of building permits with one-tenth the population of New York Metro. So as hard as people might say it is to build here in Austin, as much as we need housing, we're not doing as bad as we could be. I can't imagine what would happen if we were only permitting, you know, one-tenth of what we permitted last year in terms of homes. But there's only so much filling you can do. There's only so much... Greenfield left in the city limits of Austin. You're talking about, you know, Williamson County. Do we get to the point where in conjunction with transportation changes, in conjunction with just value of land going up, we start taking out sections of homes and going up or going more dense? Is that what we're, what's in the future for Austin? Well, right now, there's a lot of land still up in Williamson County, and there's a lot of lands you know that's being plotted. Um, you know, I think it, there, you know, a, you know, somebody who studies uh, demographics might be more. Um, it might be an interesting guess for you guys uh, if you haven't already done that. Uh, you know, to me, that's a great question, and I think it's gonna. It, the whole work from home thing is kind of like the the ingredient that I, that I don't think any of us had saw you know, had seen coming, like, because in, you would think like you're thinking where in Williamson County, they could continue to build single family homes and then maybe some business districts, right. But not as concentrated as like the domain or downtown. Well, now if, if people can work from home more or, you know, cause by the way, you know, just, just what we have now has been a huge reprieve. If you'd asked me two years ago, what's the biggest issue facing Austin? I would have said transportation, 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 like that would have been it. And now it has given us, I know traffic is still hard, but it's like the two couple of days people are working from home has been a game changer. So now it's more about affordable housing and talent and that kind of thing. that are the big issues. And so long story short is I, I, I think it's going to continue to build like it's building. I don't think that Williamson County is going to feel the need to create another downtown uh, because of traffic issues or, or because of land issues. And I think that the housing is going to continue to go to where it's the most affordable. Um, and I, right now that's going to be an open area, land areas in Northeast Travis County. And, you know, so, I mean, uh, Hayes County is getting, you know, kind of expensive and, but still there's a lot out in Leander and, um, and Round Rock even that there's a lot of places to build, uh, build, uh, housing. So I agree with you, Michael. I think, I think that the housing has gone, we're, you know, we're doing as best as we can. And this is a unique moment in our, in our region's history. And it's hard for people to be able to afford housing uh, right now. Um, but I agree with you. I think that there are things in the works. And I think I think we'll catch up and we might even see a little bit of extra inventory that will really hopefully help some of that affordability issue. And I think there's also the, the demand side. I mean, you've seen people going to Leander 
and those places because they want a house, they want the good schools, they want all of those those things. And what is interesting is, are we starting to see, to your point where it's all about the talent, are the companies starting to move closer to the talent? I mean, uh, when we saw recently, like, you know, Austin was one of the fastest growing uh, metros. It was like 3% in one year. But then Williamson County was, uh, you know, which is obviously a part of that, was 20% growth, right? So if everyone's moving up there and you're getting this question of, if I'm adding a new uh, new building, if I'm adding a new, or, or if I'm moving to Austin, it becomes an interesting question of, do I go downtown? Do I go up into Williamson County? Because people want to be, you know, 10 minutes from me. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I just don't know how much of it is kind of old thinking, right, with work from home. So, like, I loved being up here in Pflugerville because the talent, we had many people come work for us because they were tired of, of driving downtown. So the talent was a huge, being with the talent was a huge advantage for us as a business. And I, I I still would plan that way if I was a business owner. I would still look to where my talent is coming and try to build close to that talent because we still don't know the whole big impact of work from home. But that's what I would do if, if uh, and that's what we're doing. So we're building a new building in, in Houston, for example, uh, and we're building it out in Jersey Village in Northwest Houston. And and we're going where the talent is out in that area. So and, and here in Austin, I, I, I would do the same thing. And um, I would still I would still build up out here. Now, listen, also, there's some huge advantages to these towns. Like I was in Georgetown for the Red Poppy Fest. I mean, it's an unbelievable event. It's unbelievable. If you live in Georgetown, the downtown square is great. Uh, I know down down in Dripping Springs, they had Founders Weekend. And I mean, the ability for these towns to take advantage of the being prox, you know, the close proximity to the sun of having the beautiful uh, Austin, uh, everything about Austin that we all love, the great meals and all that kind of stuff. And then having your own culture around that is a huge advantage, not only for residents, but for business owners as well. Um, so that's what I, I, that's what I would do. If I was a business owner, I would pay really close attention um, and, and I, I love the idea of building around these communities. They're great. Um, Leander's a great community. Cedar Park's a great community. Pflugerville's a great community. So, uh, I think that that's an advantage that these cities have. Yeah. And I think when we think about, you know, we bringing on remote work and I'm someone who lives in Austin, but, uh, I work remotely. So I work for a Maryland company. Um, <laughs> you think about, you know, look, if you asked me in 2019, does geography matter? My answer would have been absolutely. If you asked me at end of 20, you know, uh, early 21, when we moved, I would have said not a chance. Um, and if you ask me now, the answer is yes, but it's harder to, to define how, right? And when we think about, you know, the future of work and we think about, it always drives me a little bit crazy, the lack of nuance in some of the discussions when it's the spectrum. You're either, we're either remote, hybrid, whatever that means, or, um, or in person, right? And it's like, let's take it down a level and think about it from an activity base. So we can do this podcast remotely, not a problem, an hour of our time together kind of situation. If we want to do a six-hour strategy session, no, I, I don't want to do that via Zoom. <laughs> That's not something we want to do. If we want to do, I know the challenge for us is, you know, culture building and communication is much more intentional, right? Because we all are all over the country. And so it'll be interesting is, to your point about moving away from old thinking, but like, okay, if I'm going to put a location down and maybe it's closer to the talent but what are they doing there? Are we working in collaboration spaces? How are we kind of engineering? Because if I'm working on PowerPoints and documents all day, I'm going to stay home and do that. So I have that. If we want to, you know, engage in, you know, group thinking, then that's a great location usage. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's the, 
um, the future of all workforce, whether or not, you know, there's always this generational, like, it's hilarious. Like if you study it, you know, the generation below, below us is always, they're the lazy ones and they don't know what they're doing. And the generation above us for the, you know, we're smarter than them, right? Like it's the same thing, the uh, history of mankind. And I, but I, I will say this, that I think what's really clear is that any business that wants to be uh, successful in the next uh, 10, 20 years, they're going to have to be thinking like you're thinking, Jason, and they're going to have to be curious about all of those things. And it can't be, hey, I want everybody to be in my office because this is how I, this is how I built culture with my generation. It, that is, that is, that is not going to be successful. And I think past 10 years, if you really want to build a long-term business, you got to be thinking like you're thinking. And that's what's fun of though. Isn't that the funnest part? Like we don't know in the Jersey village building, for example, like we did exactly like you said, we have these big workspaces. We have a big meeting area because we all want to come together. Then we also have offices and cubes for people to kind of have their own place. So, but we don't know, like <laughs> we, we want to be flexible. We want to do the best that we can and we want to listen to our staff and, and, but we need, we want a place. So for us building a building, putting our sign up on 290 that says we're Houston's community newspaper company like that matters to us. And so I think that the businesses being seen in the communities, I think is still a valuable piece of the puzzle, but how you build the work workplace is going to be something that we're all going to be uh, learning. If we're open and we're curious, we're going to get, I think we're going to get really good at it. It's going to be better than it was for our generation. No, I think that curiosity and that flexibility is really important because we're still, I mean, at the, at the beginning, right. It was like, I don't know, a five, 10% was working remote and then, you know, you had uh, numbers coming out saying, we think 20% is going to work remote. Now we're hearing it's 55%, I think, was if people don't want to go back to the office. So, un, you know, not in some cases, not being committal. So we kind of see how things go. Now, all that being said, if we have remote work, people being in the house, we have this dispersion across the metro, right? So one of the big things about ecosystems that make them work is this Con, you know, aggregation effect, right? There's lots of people, they're running into each other. Um, we have these wonderful creative collisions. It's like, oh, you're doing this, you're doing this. If we put, put these things together, a unicorn is formed, right? Well, if we're spreading out and not going into the office as much with remote, how do we maintain the strength of that dynamism and be a interconnected region that is causing creative collisions? I think I think you're going to see it in more happy hours and events that are around. I think events. I mean, I, I mean, we were. I remember my first event at, during the pandemic coming come to an event where people were like sitting around tables. It's like, what? This is so weird. But now it's not. Like I'm like so looking forward uh, to every event. I'm. I'm I, I wasn't a, I mean, I'm an extrovert, and and I don't know about you guys, but like there was always like I always had this kind of like fog, like kind of a head fog over over like social interactions and such. And even though we still got out, we were we felt comfortable. Uh, it my brain from a business networking standpoint was totally shut down for two years, and I and I think that that that's a muscle that we've got to rebuild. But I'm like so excited to do that. And so I think that that's the answer. I think there's going to be, we're, we're, we are physical human beings and we are, we do want to connect. Some, some want to connect less than others. And I think that that's a beautiful thing that we're all created a little bit differently and we need to respect that, uh, the differences. But I think that, the, you know, coming together is going to be really imperative. Although, you know, we need to be not, we need to be open-minded because there were great companies prior to the pandemic that were remote all the time that were successful. So, the, you know, I think we just all need to be curious and open-minded 
uh, and flexible, right? Um, but I think our brains are going to start kind of re-energizing the parts of our brain or whatever that are like, hey, I can't wait to actually go to an event again and and network again and feel safe about it. So that's a, that's an exciting part of our next, I think, couple of years. I think there needs to be an evolution, though, of and stepping up the game, even in these these networking events, because I know because we transitioned during the pandemic, leaned in heavy into the, I'll call it the digital networking, whether through things like Lunch Club or Clubhouse when it was, had its moment or just, you know, people just Zoom in general and, and, and meeting people. And it's funny because I've many times went to the hundred person happy hour event that was like, yeah, I'm supposed to go to this. And I'd say 99% of the time, the serendipity that was envisioned was supposed to happen kind of never did. And so for me, it's now been a, you know, uh, and as we said, like, you know, three small children, all these kind of things, like it, the, the bar for me to go to an event is raised. It needs to be, you know, of higher value. So that'll be, you've got people itching for it, but then these kind of like, okay, what is it that I'm looking for? How, how are we going to change and how are you going to bring even better connectivity at these types of events? That's interesting because for me, the bar is lower, you know, like, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you why. I think that pre-pandemic, like I was kind of a, I was kind of an event snob. Like I'm, I'm only going to go to that event if I can make sure that the, my peers, the people at the level that I need to do business with are going to be there. And let me tell you something. Now I go to these events and I'm like, I don't care. Whoever's sitting at my table, I can't wait to, to, uh, to get to know their story. And I don't know if that's a long-term thing or if it's just a pandemic, like whatever. But for me, it, the, the events have become richer because my uh, event snobbery has, has decreased. And I, I met a woman, for example, just briefly, I know, I know we're probably running out of time, but just real brief. I met a woman at a, um, at an event and she was, we're sitting around, it's a diversity and equity uh, event. And this woman, a black woman says, Hey, I need to talk to you because, you know, I never really felt like community impact was my newspaper before. I always loved the ads. Like you said earlier, I love the ads, but I never, I never felt like it, ser it served my community. It was really my community newspaper, but I've noticed in the last six months that people that look like me are your, in your stories and your, and it's something we've been really intentional about as an organization. I was really proud of it, but to have that kind of dialogue with, with a reader that I probably at an event before may, may have only been around my peers and may have, you know, excluded that kind of conversation, not, not intentionally, but I guess, yeah, intentionally to now be at this event and seeing all, all these, uh, you know, kind of um, just uh, people that I would normally, uh, you know, wouldn't really seek out, really seeking them out has been very rich. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel like I've learned, I know we've all learned a lot through the pandemic, but that's the, that's one thing I really hope I can hold on to that. I'm not looking at an event list saying, okay, I need to like hang out with these CEOs that instead I'm open to like whoever it is across the room that I get to have a conversation with. Uh, I've found a real richness in that. And so I hope I can keep that. Well, Tom Singer, who we had on our podcast towards the beginning talked about in Austin in the nineties, how you could have a, a three name tag day. And I think both you and I are looking forward to that kind of event. Forget the traffic for a minute, the ability to go out and, and work with people and meet people that you don't know or that you do know is a, uh, is a great thing. This has been an amazing conversation. Appreciate it. We always end our podcast with our signature question, John Garrett, what's next, Austin? What's next for Austin is a transformative time for all of us 
to to learn more about our neighbors, uh, to learn more about the the beauty that's around us, and and to appreciate people for who they are. It's, it's going to be it. Ha- we have the chance to have you know the greatest decade in our our city's history if we're open to that kind of uh, interaction and part part for our fellow neighbor. I think that that's that's the truth. John Garrett, Community Impact Newspapers. Thank you so much for being on the Austin Next Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate y'all. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening, and see you soon.